after I got into Antarctica, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm done. Uh, because I was hitting two continents. Uh, and then I was like, I, I had one more. So it was, it was, I was 21. I was on the cusp of hitting two more continents. And I was like, yo, I can do this by 25. And so I just started speaking into existence like it's going to happen. And I mean, I didn't, it didn't feel like anything. I think when I first set the goal, I was like, this is going to be the most amazing thing I'll ever accomplish. And I think it's a blessing that it's, it's not. It's mm. something else. And it's cool to say that I did it. Like, it's a, it's a really, for me, it's like a really cool humble brag. Um, particularly if it's someone who's like, oh, you've probably never heard of this place. And I go, well, actually, share. <laughs> I've been to many places. <laughs> um, but I think for me, it's cool that it's not like the most exciting thing I've ever Hmm. Um, and that makes me happy in a way that I didn't think it would. Won't you come along with me? Hello, hello! Welcome to Young Gifted and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Joe as the guest. I'm also pretty excited to talk to you today because this is the 40th episode of Young, Gifted, and Abroad. That's 4-0, episode 40. And um, to top all that off, a week from today, um, because I'm putting this out a day behind schedule, um, a week from today is June 19th. Uh, that's Juneteenth, which is the official anniversary, official first anniversary of when I launched Young, Gifted, and Abroad. So there's lots to look forward to between today and a week from today. <laughs> and I figured for episode 40, who better to feature on this momentous occasion um, than my former undergraduate classmate, Joe. Joe is incredibly dynamic and resourceful and accomplished. Um, she has been to all seven continents of the world. Um, <laughs> that was a goal that uh, came about as she started traveling internationally in undergrad, and she was able to complete that goal in grad school uh, at the age of 24, was when she visited her seventh continent. And so uh, we talked a lot about that process, um, how that even became a goal for her in the first place, and the steps along the way, and also what that goal meant for her in the beginning, and what it means for her now that she has accomplished it. But we also talked about Joe, uh, Joe's career a little bit. Um, <laughs> Joe is a diplomat. Uh, she earned a Payne Fellowship, uh, which means that USAID paid for her, her to pursue her master's degree at Yale. And then uh, upon completing her master's degree, she was sworn in as a foreign service officer last year. Um, so she is personally very interested in international development and environmental issues, especially in terms of how environmental issues affect women and people of color and people of the African diaspora. So um, that's where her passions lie, career-wise. And um, this conversation that we had actually took place almost a year ago in July of 2018. And at the time, she had just finished her master's degree, um, was still in New Haven, about to move to DC, and uh, hadn't started training for um, her foreign service role yet. So she didn't even know where she'd be going. Um, and so cut to now, <laughs> she's living in D.C., she's been undergoing uh, some intense language training for the past six months or so, and she's preparing to move to a certain Spanish-speaking country. That's where she'll be stationed first. Uh, so yeah, that's where we are today. Uh, I have to mention also that this episode is special because I didn't think that this interview would see the light of day. <laughs> When we um, recorded this back in July of last year, uh, after we finished talking, I checked the recording and for some reason her voice just wasn't picking up as as strongly as I would have liked. Not her fault, it was just a, a technical issue that um, I wasn't aware of until we'd already finished the conversation. So um, we discussed alternatives, maybe re-recording certain things, and then it just... Uh, 
it just kind of fizzled out and it was just like okay uh, I guess I'll take that L and it's not gonna it wasn't meant to be <laughs> but um, over time and practice and having um, had to fix audio issues for past episodes earlier this year I kind of got the idea of okay well maybe I can try and sit down do some research do some tinkering around and and fix this so to speak <laughs> and um, and so that's what I did I did my best to balance things out and uh, I hope that you enjoy it and gain something from it so without further ado sit back relax and enjoy my interview with my friend Joe Brooks I'm moving to DC August 14th and I start work August 20th. Yay, that's awesome. That's wonderful. Are you, well, I don't know if you can talk about it. Are, are you like training to be a foreign service officer or? Yeah. Born in a foreign service August 20th. Okay, all right, gotcha. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. No comment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't lose my job, but I'm not going to pretend to be excited about it okay well i guess it is what it is (laughs) it's an opportunity um but it's not a lifelong commitment for me Mm, okay yeah totally understand you there okay well thank you um so much for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast i thought you would be a really good person to have since you've been to a lot a lot a lot a lot of places (laughs) So um, I'm trying to think where we should start because you've, Lord have mercy, you've been to so, so many places. Maybe we'll start chronologically. Okay, so um, was it in undergrad that you started traveling, like for real, for real? Yeah, so um, I'm from Detroit, and the only place I had ever been um, outside of the States was Canada. And okay. so um, I had a goal. I was like, like, oh, you know, I want to do X, Y, Z. I want to go to this many places by the time I'm, you know, X age. Um, and my first time leaving the country was the summer after freshman year at state. Okay. All right. Also, I just realized I forgot to have you introduce yourself first. I'm so sorry. Can do you mind just like into whatever little bit you want to say about yourself? Just go ahead. How about it? Hi, I'm Joe. Um, <laughs> I'm Joe Brooks. I received my my uh, bachelor's of education. State University and my major is in mouthful, but basically political theory and science policy. And I recently received my uh, master's in environmental science. Thank you. Yep. Related congratulations to you on that. That's that's awesome. Is that it for school for you for now or probably. I mean I I don't see the utility of another degree unless I get like a JD. Because I don't want to teach. So a PhD would be great for the sake of letters. It would also actually increase my income within uh, foreign service, like 30% increase. Unless I'm getting a JD, I can't see it being used for like, my career or my wallet. All right. Well, thank you for that. Sorry I had to backtrack a little bit because I got ahead of myself. But, um, okay, so you've started traveling in, uh, while at MSU when you went to China, right? While you were in, And that was oh. for... Oh, my first time leaving the country was uh, Madagascar. Oh, that's right, because it was like during the summer. Yeah. Finished our first year in Madison. Mm-hmm. And when I started PTCD or, you know, declared my major political theory, I also knew that I cared a lot about science policy or environmental issues broadly, mm-hmm. particularly how they affected people of color, particularly black people, um, the entire diaspora. So there was a study abroad. Um, but it was a way to do some biology credits for my minor. Yeah, so it was it was biodiversity conservation um, in one of the most diverse places in the world and a lot of endemism. So the place, the things that are found in Madagascar aren't anywhere else in the world. Um, and so once they go extinct there, they're gone. Mm. So it's just like 93% of the flora, 90% of the fauna. Like it's just, it looks like Jurassic Park. And mm. while we have these issues of local climate change adaptation and all this other stuff, we also have people who are being exploited by their land, right? Like most countries on the continent, Madagascar is a former colony. Um, you had a lot of 
like viral piracy happening, trafficking happening. I mean, things that still exist. I think about how much I've grown since then because in 2012, I was like, conservation is everything. Um, but after that study abroad, I was like, well, I, I really care about people first. And that's kind of been my ethos is that for me, environmentalism is humanism. But that was eye opening. That was that, that summer, that experience being black in the face, my first time in the country, going to the motherland, and clearly being like black but not African, and being kind of just embraced and loved on by multiple tribes and different groups. Um, that was a lot. That was a lot for me. Yeah. Wow, that's so fascinating. I didn't know that you had done all that. I knew you went to Madagascar, but I didn't, I don't think I ever asked like what your program was about. So it's really interesting to see how that influenced you, especially in regards to like um, environmentalism and humanism, you know. All right. So that was Madagascar. That was summer 2012. And then was it China next or was there something somewhere else between that? Okay. Well, uh, 20... May, June 2012 was Madagascar, and I mean, we went around the entire country, so that was great. Mm-hmm. And then uh, March 2013 was China. Mm. That was dope. Um, that was completely different for a lot of reasons. That was technically for work. So it was a city abroad. I was a, a Spartan ambassador, so one of six undergrad students. No, I think just one of six. Yeah, and then there was one master student. Um, from the university that I got to represent, and we visited um, three or four universities to kind of see how can we better adapt our campus mm-hmm. um, for these this huge Chinese population. Right? I think um, the year after the year we went, the year after our freshman year, I didn't come to class. Had about two thousand students from China. Um, wow. And just simple things like accessibility and language and labeling and signage or the activities that were offered in the res halls. Um, it didn't match up to meet their cultural needs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even with the dining hall. So that was that was, that was great. Yeah. Okay. And how long was that? That was like nine days. Okay. Yeah, that was a spring break trip. So, I mean, what you said that was really different. Like, what was it? Um, did you experience culture shock? Or was it just um, a lot of new things that you were being exposed to? Life is always culture shock. Um, <laughs> in Madagascar, one, I would say that I, I, I still think that Madagascar is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Mm-hmm. I'm just, just naturally amazing. And also, like, it's a low-income, technically developing country. Um, and then you go to China and you go to Beijing and it's 22 million people in one city. Mm-hmm. And... I'm at the Shangri-La on the 11th floor for free, living a life that I, you know, and, and while I was, while I was a student, it was really kind of this like negotiation, diplomatic capacity of meeting with presidents and trustees of universities and kind of seeing what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really great for me because it wasn't like I was, I was learning, but I wasn't in the classroom setting, right? It wasn't like I was taking classes or working with NGOs. It was like I was meeting higher levels of other institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just China. China is great, too, because it's kind of like new world, old world meet in the sense that I'm at KBT, KTV, sorry, rather, karaoke, and it's like, mm-hmm. it looks like I'm in Vegas or New York, right? Just like a really, just technologically advanced space. Mm-hmm. And then I walked the Great Wall, and it's like 2,000 years old. And I remember the day we went to the literally the temple to heaven or the old or the ancient city it was one of the two and it looked like disney world something that was so beautiful and well kept but almost like a movie set where mm. it seemed real and we don't have that here because you know it's like what, what do we have the capital which is like as old as my university so um yeah to just like walk through certain spaces and realize like how old they were and it was something that i had had an experience and that I just really appreciated. Um, also, to how intentional the Chinese are. Um, I've been back to China again for work for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, they just got it together. Like, I appreciated, like, going to their parks and how their, like, play equipment was really just, like, gym equipment. And, like, you can get, like, a nice workout or how, particularly with, like, accessibility, everything was 
uh, Mandarin, Cantonese, Arabic, French, sometimes English, right? Like I can always walk around and I never had to think about the language barrier. Mm-hmm. It was just great. I love China. I mean, people are really reckless and will grab your hair and snatch you up. Oh. And yeah, like, heard about that. Um, Were people treating you like a celebrity trying to get pictures with you? They, yeah, and they don't even ask. They just like they mm-hmm. just and they were just like clothes. Um, and Tremaine, who I love, he was a master student, and he was an ACD. I'm gonna say an Acres or Hugger because he's black, and you know that's just how staff works. That's yeah, it. yeah. What's um, <laughs> <laughs> something in East neighborhood? He kind of looks like Kanye, but not really. And okay. <laughs> someone was like, oh, this is Kanye West. He had, like, the shutter glasses. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, oh, Kanye, Kanye. Yeah. People in Madagascar was, like, minding their own business. People in China was just, like, all of you know business. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in college, I wear my hair straight all the time. And mm-hmm. so, for me, it's just, like, nothing's different about this. I look like everyone else. But they were, like, all up in my hair, like, Touching, mm. like if I had tracks, they were going to find them. <laughs> very invested. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand why. And then when I went back to China as a grad student, mm-hmm. um, for work, like I was engaged, so I was happy. Um, <laughs> with Yale, it was kind of the same thing, but I didn't travel as much because I was there, like working, not on the cultural experience. Yeah. What that. kind of work were you doing when you went, um, when you were at Yale? Yeah, so I, we were there uh, for the Yale Global Scholars Program. And I was the director of, like, student life and diversity and inclusion. Um, and so we were at, we, I don't, I can't think of a place that we stayed, but we, all the work was done in the Yale Center, Yale Baking Center, which mm-hmm. is teaching these kids from everywhere. And it was, it was, it was great. Okay. It was, like, really insular. So it was it was very different than the first time I went, and I'm still looking for this picture uh, of your friend who looks like Kanye. <laughs> he looks nothing like Kanye. This guy. Oh yeah, I don't I don't see it. Oh, but the funny thing about that story is that mm-hmm. <laughs> he started to charge people. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Did he make a lot? I don't know. I was trying to walk away. I was like, I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah but china was sophomore year for college mm-hmm. okay and then after that was europe europe like, i have a lot of gripes in the different state but probably i mean study abroad it really changed my life mm. for the so after china junior year summer junior year so summer after our junior year i went to europe and that was England, Italy, Luxembourg, France, the Netherlands, Germany, and I'm probably missing Switzerland. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that. And that, that was like a month-long trip. Mm-hmm. And that was really dope. And that was with the College of Engineering. And then the business school, that was a growth. And whatever the engineering program is taught. Um, and that was really good because we got to go to places like Eaton or Arsenal Middle, which is my first employer after school, mm-hmm. or like uh, BP, right? And so it was a corporate tour, and you're going to these countries, like in, in that country, you're going to these corporate headquarters for like Nestle, mm-hmm. and you're in them. And that was, that was really cool, and that's, that trip is actually, when we went to Arsenal Middle in Luxembourg, I met them, and I was like, what do you do? And I was really interested because a lot of their extraction comes from Ghana. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they do iron ore extraction because they're the largest steel producer in the world. They operate in six countries. And this is the time where I'm like, oh, I care about the environment, but also want to make some money. Hmm, CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility. Mm. And uh, I met people there. When I got back to study, I ended up getting like this internship or after we graduated. It was great. It was in Chicago on American French. But it was a, it was a really awesome way of being introduced to like the global market mm. you know what all this means and what, what, what places policy or activism or advocacy have um, in this framework mm-hmm. and I got to you know go around Europe right of uh, course <laughs> I realized that it's my least favorite place in the world even now at 25 
side. Mm. Why is that? Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I don't believe the hype. Yeah. And then since then, I've lived in Kosovo um, for work. We wouldn't even have to go into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been to like Kosovo, Macedonia, Montenegro, uh, what are some other countries? Greece, twice. And I just, I just don't, I, I never, you know, sit back and think, wow, I wish I was here. Mm-hmm. But I have times. You know, I really wish I, I could go back to China. Like, I long for these places. I long for Madagascar. I can't wait to go back to South Africa. I can't wait to go back to Ecuador. But I'm, I'm never out here thinking, hmm, I should be in Switzerland right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did like Italy a lot. So I would take them off the list. But it's just, it's, it's not bad. I just, I think a lot of the world's obsession with theater is really the space. One, I like the fantasy that these spaces are better guaranteed white or naturally organically white and that they're just like this old and that's why I like China because the things that we're taught about Europe right these this old these ancient empires that actually does exist in China mm-hmm. but it's like beautiful um, and then some of the architecture just looks the same like am I in Austria am I in Germany does it really matter no. <laughs> um <laughs> They're nice places to visit. Mm-hmm. I will never have an opportunity to go, but I'm not about to spend my coin to, to get on a plane somewhere. So there are places that I would love to go. Like, I would actually love to go to Russia or, like, Spain. But the places that I've been to Europe, I think I've been to, like, 14 European countries. Not a Not a Not impressed. Yeah. Not impressed. Yeah. But, oddly enough, I loved Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They were so great. I mean, Australia is very racist, but like so is America. But like those are also two spaces. They're also actually naturally beautiful. Never mind, you can't keep it. And then after Europe, our, our senior year, I did Argentina and Antarctica. Oh yes, I remember that. Wait, I, I I just remembered a question I wanted to ask. So when you went to Europe, you said you went with the engineering. School? Yeah, I just applied. So I don't think I've never done a Madison or. For people that understand Madison, which is the College of Public Affairs. So mm-hmm. I never did a policy study abroad. And I, I'm happy because most of our classes, most of mine were taken in Madison or Briggs for my minor. Um, and so I was really able to market myself or gain skills or realize deficits like I programs with other colleges. Yeah, so Mad- uh, Madagascar was, was Briggs and... What is it? Histories and wildlife. Mm, yeah. And China, China was university. Um, Europe was business engineering colleges. And then Argentina and Antarctica was also on the Okay. Because you, you left from Argentina to get to Antarctica, right? So did you spend most of the time in Antarctica? Or did you... You spent some time uh, yeah. doing something in Argentina too, right? So it was a month long. Okay. Um, but we spent like a week and a half in Argentina in Ushuaia, which is like the southernmost city. Um, and to put that in kind of perspective, we were in the Patagonia region. So the Patagonia area is between like Chile and Argentina. Mm. Um, we were like Tierra del Fuego National Park and looking at landscapes. Yeah, so I mean, some sort of those botany like identification. But there was also like a lot of zoology. Mm-hmm. Argentina, particularly like the, um, the Arctic birds, um, conservation and forestry were also components of the Argentine way. Whatever reason, the Argentine government introduced these beavers from Canada to start a fur trade. What? The drastic difference in weather. Mm-hmm. The beavers not growing fur. Like, and so what happened is that they just wreaked havoc. On Sierra Boyle. Like, there's just bands everywhere, and they're just looking out to Oh my goodness. Yeah, so non native species have become invasive. Um, so that was like, that was that was Argentina. And then, so we spent two days sailing from Argentina to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. That was great. I mean, the, the trip there, the physical, the, the boat where I was off it, but uh, getting there was amazing. Were you seasick, or what made it so bad? It was awful. So um, I had like the prescribed Dramamine cat. So I thought that I was good. I put it on two days prior to even touching the shit. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, but they say historically that the Drake Passage, so like the passage between Argentina and Antarctica, I know that I'm like mapping it out, sorry, um, okay. are the roughest waters in the world. Mm. I'm like, oh, but I got my patch. Like, I'm cool. And I was not cool by the midpoint of the first day. I was so sick. I like threw up and like collapsed. Mm. And um, <laughs> the doctor on the ship gave me purple pill. I think he just, I think he just sedated a few of us who had it really bad. Mm-hmm. Just like a couple lectures. And I remember they were like, kept coming to my room and serving fruit, but I never ate it because I was just hot. I was just done. Mm. And I remember going to the captain like once we reached land. I was like, how bad is that? You know, one to ten. He's like, oh, maybe four. Four? He said at six. At six, people would have to, like, they'd have to lock down the ship and, like, tie everything down. Um, because sometimes it sways so bad that mm. the um, your window's kind of parallel to the water. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, so I couldn't hang. I couldn't hang at but all. But you made it. <laughs> Barely. The way back was nothing. But okay. the way back, I was like, I was like, we're going to die. This is open water. It's so rough. What is that? That's well. Oh. Wow. You know? That article was majestic. It's like a really, it's like a very, it's like a blue Madagascar. Like, they're mm. the same. One is green, one is blue. I mean, can you talk about what it's like being in Antarctica? I feel like that's not a lot of, not a place that a lot of people get to go to. Like, what is it like there? Were you freezing all the time? Were there other people? Like, do people live there year round? Like, what, what was it like for you? So the, no one lives there year round unless they're on like a government base. Mm. I think there's been like four or five babies actually born on the continent. So it's really cute. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's there are some research scientists who occupy just the peninsula, like the outer rim, the outer region, because the center is way too cold. Um, who live there full time. But then there are other people who live at research stations like Port Lockboy, which is a, is a British station, that they can only occupy that space uh, for four months out of the year. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, I mean, you're from you're from Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put in perspective, we went in the summer months, mm-hmm. and uh, it was 38 degrees. There's no ozone there. It was very sunny, but it was it was great. So we lived on a ship, right? Uh, we lived on a ship, but there was one night, Christmas Eve, we actually camped on land, mm-hmm. and that was cool. We had tent. But the Michigan State student said, Hey, how about we sleep outside in the snow? And my black ass was like, No, I, I'm not going to do this. But FOMO is real, you know, fear missing out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what I'll ever do back at this in the state. Mm-hmm. You know, being able bodied and like, you know, this time we to risk it all. It's 21. Never again. Never again. I'll sleep outside on the actual coldest place on earth. Um, so we dug these ditches, we put down our, like, our, our it was almost like aluminum foil, but you know, like, your team had. Mm-hmm. And I remember, there's two people that I hated the most on the trip. We were so close together, because it was just so cold, like, and I remember, so, like, ginger <laughs> penguins are everywhere. And this is one thing that I realized after coming back from Antarctica. So mm-hmm. I seabirds, penguins, and, like, whales. There were orcas everywhere. There were seals everywhere. There was a hell of a lot of penguins, particularly gentoos, which are the most ordinary of the bunch. They were like pigeons like, everywhere. And so you would wake up, it was like 2 a.m., and just walking around, just like walking over you. They're like tiny little things. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so I, so that, that really inspired me. What I was afraid of are the leopard seals. Because they're like long and they were bigger than our boats, like those zodiacs. And I was like, "Whoa, what if we go to sleep and then someone gets eaten?" I woke up at like three a.m. It started to snow. We were outside. I was like, "I'm gonna die." <laughs> <laughs> Positive note: I would. I mean, it, it really is beautiful. My professor, she said something that was really real. She said, mm-hmm. um, "We've never, we've never experienced a color blue team as a the Antarctica." Mm. It was real. I mean, just like the death. Like I didn't know ice would be so beautiful. So I took a geology course, and I was like, well, "What's the point of knowing all the types of ice?" There is a point. 
it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was absolutely, it was, it was breathtaking. I still look at those pictures and I, I can't believe that I was there. Um, and after I got back, I think I dreamed about Antarctica for at least a month. Wow. Very random. Yeah, it was, it was so pretty and just peaceful because no one's there. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's very just like fast. That sounds so beautiful. It was, I, I think mm-hmm. everyone should go. Um, because it costs quite a bit, I think I would say go with the company and go for your honeymoon or like go for you. I would just say go. <laughs> and that was the last one you did uh, in undergrad, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I wanted to ask, um, because a lot of your experiences, your like study abroad experiences in undergrad were having to do with environment. Had you always wanted to, did you always have an interest in that field or was it something that you got more into after you got to college? Yes and no. So uh, I think like most, uh, I, I want to say most, particularly like black kids who are good at writing and speaking, who care at least a little bit about making money or social justice, you're encouraged to be a lawyer. Mm. That was me. Like I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and I went into Madison thinking that I would go to law school. After my freshman year, the class that I, I had taken, I was like, I, I really care about environmental policy. And then too, just like, people who are the most affected are women and people of color, particularly black people, wherever you are, right? Mm-hmm. You can have people right in Australia. Those are black people fighting open land here, right? Um, and so for me, like, you can't, you can't dissever self-determination from agency in the environment. Like, being in Detroit and having these suburbs, like, oh, the dumb stuff. Like, I grew up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I care more and more about that in Madison. And then I think Catholic grew up like, I don't want to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I remember that day I told my mom and I said my parents, I was like, how about I don't go to Harvard Law, I'll go to Harvard Kennedy School and get an MPP. They're like, no, I don't really understand that. I mean, it didn't even happen, right? I ended up getting an MS, an ES. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of knew that the policy or the work that I cared about, even in like a corporate kind of landscape, was the environment, which was people, but like you know, through the environment, like as the medium um, of justice in a sense, like even like reproductive rights, everything is tied back to landscapes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I saw this Madagascar trip. So for me, I did want to do a Madison or a policy thing abroad with our faculty because they were all girl-centric and that did nothing for me or what I cared about. And then I wanted to go to the continent. I didn't want my first time abroad being in Europe. Mm. It, it's really Ooh, weird. That's powerful, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted that, but I don't think I was in that same space. I definitely, I definitely wasn't in the space of embracing the love of my blackness at the time. Mm. And for me, I was like, I can go to Mozambique. It was like three city abroad programs, and the one that fit that was also on the continent. There were a lot in the Caribbean and Latin America, um, and it was moderately affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is where this is where I picked. Uh, so, and I think that kind of interest just it's kind of like when you know there's a problem, you dig deeper and you go, wow, this is cool stuff. And so for me, you just can't separate like natural capital from white supremacy and everything else. Like it all goes back to the environment. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I am now. It just kind of grew and grew and grew in and, and undergrad. Now I'm here with this master. <laughs> uh, and while the work is so, it's still diplomacy, right? It's, it's yeah. still on uh, environment. So my, my work with those people, well, I mean, work on behalf of the government is very different from what I chose to do my thesis on. By the time I got to grad school, I'm looking at energy in the Balkans, and why are we investing billions of dollars into coal in Europe, right? Like, that, that makes no sense, but it's, mm-hmm. it's about geopolitics, and it's yeah. about not, you know, conceiving two loans at the time, Russia. It's just like these dynamics, are just, and it's, when you bring in climate change and everything else, it becomes something altogether crazier. Um, yeah, so no, I didn't always know. I knew I always cared about it, like country, ozone, you know, protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't until our, our first year in school that I was like, oh, I really care about this. Yeah. 
in a real way. And that's led to you to this point. <laughs> More or less, yeah. yeah. Okay, so then from there you, not straight away, I know, but eventually you made your way to Yale for, is it, for, oh goodness, what is it called? Forestries? Oh, what is wow. the school called? The Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Forestry and Environmental Studies, yes, okay. The 95% of the school is the Environmental Studies part. Okay. But before I ask you about the, you know, international experiences you had while you were at Yale, can you talk a little bit about how you ended up going to Yale for people who are interested in, like, Ivy League schools, especially, you know, people of color interested in Ivy League schools? Like, how did that happen? It's funny because after I left Madison, I was working at Arson Middle, um, and I gained a lot of experience there. One, culturally, about how corporate worked and into sustainable supply chain, sustainability, that was great. I was also in talks with Professor Zeller. Zeller, I don't remember. You know, when you, is it, is it Zeller? I thought it was Zeller. I can not wrong. I mean, so you, I really don't know, but I was talking with Professor Zeller, Hook, always Rashida, and then Axelrod, I wanted to do a PhD. I knew that I didn't want to be a lawyer, and I felt like I needed something. I needed to do a PhD program. I, I mean, this was three years ago. I don't know where I was. And um, we were looking at programs that best suited what I wanted to do. And some of the best schools in the environment are like Berkeley, Indiana. And then Professor Cook was like, oh, you're not going, you're not going to Indiana. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> so I ended, up, I ended up applying to Yale. Um, but for like a, a really comprehensive environmental program, I would actually say Michigan. SNRE mm. is an excellent program. Michigan State has some really good NAT resource programs. Stanford is phenomenal, as well as Duke. And so, just in general, when it comes to Ivy League, I will say that I was terrified going into Yale, and then I left underwhelmed. And that's not just me. That is particularly the case for a lot of public school students. I have friends that went to Oregon and friends that went to Maryland. We got there and thought they were going to be just like, you know, bread to fill. And that would be very difficult, but it was really just academic and underwhelming, and the rigor wasn't there. Hmm. Um, and so for anybody who's considering an Ivy League school, unless law school, because law school is hard work, it's because that's just the name of the game, mm-hmm. um, particularly in your first year. But if you're looking at an Ivy League school, whether it be Harvard, Yale, um, Dartmouth, whatever else, you really have it. And, it's, and it was frustrating for me and I'm so unpacking this because I graduated a few months ago that it's not about talent or merit it's really just a lot about access and once mm-hmm. I did that in my first year I stopped saying you know I'm going to take this so I can get these skills it was more like this school has a lot of money and a lot of opportunities how can I exploit it mm-hmm. what does that mean uh, that means I was able to go back to China to uh, to Australia, New Zealand for free, to Ecuador for free, right? In some cases, in pay me. I was able to get in the door for other fellowships and scholarships. And I was able to work jobs that I was getting paid $10 an hour at Michigan State that I was making, like, actual salary at Yale. So I graduated at Michigan State with $17,000 of debt. Just doing student jobs at Yale, I paid off all my debt. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I mean, I was working like 40 hours a week, um, but after I knew how to play the game, and I mean, I don't think I played it that well. I'm excuse me, I'm not. You don't? That. No, 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 no. Um, it's not as far as like maintaining relationships. Mm. It's like I'm over something, I can't hide that I'm not. Um, mm. That's just like the best way that I can put that. Uh, but I encourage everyone to, to apply because you deserve to be there. And what you'll find is that you're a lot higher than the bar, for real, mm. for real. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and too, like, the, just the amount of money that these schools have, so I didn't have any debt. So even before my fellowship, Yale was going to give me full tuition. So just, I mean, it's all about, like, the amount of opportunity you get being in these spaces. I would definitely apply, but know what you're getting into and know, like, exactly what you want. I wouldn't apply to these schools unless you know what you want out of them because they're really there for the resource, not for the education, in my experience. Hmm. Uh, and now that's very different. I have friends who are at, like, the Jackson School, and they have complete experiences, and it's amazing. 
uh, the rigor of the faculty. But I didn't get that. So I would say if you walk into these spaces, know who you want to know, who you want to mentor you, or how you want to grow. Like, what are you trying to tap into? Because hindsight is twenty twenty, and had I known then, had I known, you know, two years ago what I know now, it would have been different. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Joe. Very honest. Very, um, very frank. So I appreciate that. Okay. So you get to Yale and you said, was it, was Ecuador first? Where was the first, like, international place you went as a grad student? Uh, no. The first place I went was China for work. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, and that was really cool. So China was in my first, was, was January. I'm, I'm trying to, like, map out, like, this year is so quick. And that's another mm-hmm. thing about grad school is, like, you know, you have four years in undergrad. You kind of get it together after the sophomore year. But, like, your second year is it. Um, mm-hmm. So my first city abroad for international experience, I go was back to Beijing. And that was January 2017. Yeah, I come back in February. And then I'm back to Ecuador. I'm okay. in Ecuador. Or Yasumi is part of the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador for two weeks in March. After that, man, after that, I go to Kosovo for the summer to work on behalf of USA and I'm in the embassy. Uh, and then, so I'm stationed or I'm living in Kosovo, but then like traveling around. And then uh, fast forward to, well, yeah, to the end of 2017, back to the fall, um, I went to New Zealand and Australia to present at a conference, some of my research. Mm-hmm on ocean and climate change, <laughs> which is back to like, well, right. Like having an institution behind me open the doors and I was able to present at my first professional academic conference mm-hmm. and Yale fit the bill, like fit the whole bill. Like, everything yeah. was covered. I missed like a week and a half of school because why not? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What was that like for you doing your first presenting at your first academic conference? Um, I was I was proud because it wasn't like a poster. I mean, that's so amazing too. But I, uh, my partner and I were able to do a twenty-minute segment on our work on oceans and climate change mm-hmm. adaptation. Um, it was really good. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then two Australia or Oceania was my last So it was emotional for that reason too. Mm, yeah. Um, I was like, I'm done. Oh, it's like crip walking um, <laughs> at Eagle Pass, man. By the time we got to New Zealand, I was just like, I'm hyped. I'm here. And it was really funny because when I said that I was, the conference was in New Zealand, and a hating ass person was like, oh, well, if you go to New Zealand, that's really not the second continent. And so I told my partner, uh, so we, we co wrote the paper together. And so I told him, I was like, this girl is talking mad stuff but she's right and so he was like okay we're gonna find a flight we're gonna spend three days in australia (laughs) and then then a week in new zealand so we did this very unnecessary layover i'm a texan thank you for that wait so then what continent would new zealand be part of then no it's a part of australia people are haters oh yeah like i get that all the time like technically madagascar is in africa i was like Yes, it is. So I also went to Malawi too before I went yeah. to Australia. Wait, who says that Madagascar isn't part of Africa? Aiders. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was like, I asked that same person, like, who's Japan, not part of Asia? And they're like, oh, but it's different. Like, no, you're just a hater. But yeah, so that was, um, that was kind of like my last study abroad experience because that was the last experience for school. Yeah. And I, uh, I just, I'm thinking about all the time, like, I think this class is we do things abroad, just, like, bust up. And then, most recently, my partner and I went to South Africa and Greece. Mm. Just because I'm really into finding flight deals. Yeah. And so, there was a flight deal for, like, $500 from JFK. Nice. Um, do you have any favorite sites for finding flight deals? Well, absolutely. Scott's flight deals. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of them? I have, yeah. I've never awesome. used them, though. Dots is everything. And two, because they teach you how to search. So I also like Travel Noir. 
and Blavity. Mm. We did um, JFK to Johannesburg, Cape Town, back to Joburg, to Greece, and back to JFK for $900. Um, or the same thing with Australia. I think the flight portion was only 1100 And coming from the East Coast, easily 25 mm-hmm. Easily 25 Um So Scott, Scott is number one. But okay, so I wanted to backtrack a little bit. You said you're really happy. It was really, or it was really emotional going to New Zealand and Australia because that was your last continent. Like you've been to all seven continents by this point. Was that? I remember you mentioning when we were in undergrad that that was a goal of yours. Okay, so when you said that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. But I, I think when I heard you say that I thought okay sometime in her lifetime she'll do this not like by the time she's 25 she'll have been to all the guns (laughs) so I mean how long was that um I think you always have that goal when you started traveling internationally or when did that uh, become something that you were aspiring toward so I remember and when I was a little girl I said I want to visit all 50 states by the time I'm 20 and after our freshman year I think I was like after my after I graduated high school mm-hmm. my best friend at the time was like that ain't gonna happen because you only get x amount of states and i was like wow that's cool so i didn't like give up mm-hmm. my dream of 50 states like 20 and then i i mean god is so good because madagascar and china happened in like rapid succession they were just like back to back yeah and then europe happened i mean it had been a year but i was like wow i already had three done and then that's when i made the goal I was like, I think I was like, I'm 20, 20 right now with three. I feel like I could do the other one. And then I was told my mom, I was like, I wonder if I could do all seven concerts by the time I'm 30. And she was like, absolutely. And then the Antarctica posted, because you know, I think they do that trip like every other year or every two years to take mm. a because it's the most expensive <laughs> program. Mm. Um, and I applied to it. And after I got into the program, mind you, I'm not even thinking like, how are you going to pay for this? Eight of them in the world. But um, after I got into Antarctica, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm done. Uh, because I was hitting two continents. Uh, and then I was like, I, I had one more. So it was, it was, I was 21. I was on the cusp of hitting two more continents. And I was like, yo, I can do this by 25. And so I just started speaking into existence like it's going to happen. But that's kind of how that happened. It was like one dream failed. And another one was... Oh, yeah. So how does that feel now that you've accomplished that? Um, it, it feels good. Because when I, when I first made the goal, I was 20, and it was like from a snobby place. It's like, I have access. Mm-hmm. I'm so cool. And now it just, it's from a place of just appreciating the world around me more than anything. Mm-hmm. Appreciating home. Home being America. You know, living in Europe four months like whole perspective change I, I love my country I love my city I appreciate small things so much more mm. um and I think you really see yourself yeah and I mean I didn't it didn't feel like anything I think when I first set the goal I was like this is going to be the most amazing thing I'll ever accomplish and I think it's a blessing that it's, it's not it's mm. just something else and it's cool to that I did it like it's a it's a really for me it's like a really cool humble brag um, particularly if it's someone who's like, oh, you've probably never heard of this place. And I go, well, actually, <laughs> I've been to many places. Uh, and I haven't done it, you know, you know, just like pettiness. Like, mm-hmm. well, um, but I think for me, it's cool that it's not like the most exciting thing I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes me happy in a way that I didn't think it would. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's really good. That's really good. Um, are you still going to get that tattoo? I don't know if you remember mentioning that. Yes, You're going to get a tattoo commemorating your achievement. So I'm glad you're... So I wanted to get a tattoo on my wrist. Mm-hmm. It was like seven in Hebrew. Because seven in the Bible, seven in the Christian. And I would have had, you know, gone to seven continents. So, no. But I, I have said that I'm going to get, like, some type of like chain and pendant. Like, mm. Also, as a humble brag, so when I'm wearing it, I was like, "Oh, what does that mean?" I can say, "Well, actually, <laughs> I've been confident." <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, wow. So, 
Wow. Okay. So we got through all that quicker than I thought we would. Um, <laughs> I guess, um, I guess I'll, add, do you have, um, well, you spoke of Madagascar really highly off the bat. Would you say that has been your favorite experience outside of the country so far? Do you have something else that tops that? South Africa. Okay. Like Madagascar, it's absolutely beautiful. And as far as connecting with people on the continent, I feel closest to South Africa. Mm. Looking at the struggle, yeah, I just it was it was a lot, um, and it was eerie because like I felt that way. Mm. That's the only way that I, I mean, it, it was really better. It's like California with nicer, with the same amount of racism. Mm. Um, and what I what I often find is that other Africans immigrants that come to the States are very judgmental of black people. And people of the diaspora are generally don't like American black people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found that the story of black Americans and, and South Africans were so intertwined. Madagascar was the most transformative for me because I was a wee lad and I was, I was a child <laughs> and I was so just like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still opening up and learning things and doing good things, but I feel like that was a lot to be 1819 in that space. Yeah. Uh, it's evolved, right? As well as I've ever been and in South Africa. I have all this beauty and all this context rather. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I would say South Africa is my favorite. Okay. Well, that's good. Do you have any, um, I know I said you're moving to DC and you're getting started with your work, but um, do you have any upcoming travel plans? Um, I want to go. Latin South America, I mean, Latin America and the Caribbean, and then Asia, mm-hmm. so like Chicago, and but then Thailand, so just like, you know, that whole, that whole area down. I understand people can't see what I'm doing. No, I see. <laughs> like the- it's like a belt where you have like Malaysia and like Singapore yeah. and Tri- yeah, yeah, no, I got, I got what you mean. It's really where I want to go. And then all the Caribbean I just want to. I just want to experience the diaspora, but then then, then Asia, uh, and that could change. Like I don't know where I'll be stationed to work. I could be in Jamaica. I could be in Indonesia. I could be in Egypt. Uh, wherever there's an environment focusing on the embassy on our behalf, they can just throw me somewhere. So I'm, as I'm saying, like desires of where I want to be. I'm also thinking about where do I want to live. Well, I don't know. But if I can get, get a nice trip, if I can get, like, a Malaysia in, like, the next four months, I'd be happy. Yeah. For me, price is everything. If the price is right, I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> and let it be Delta or KLM, oh, I'm definitely there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure you'll get to all those places in time. Um... Who's a state now? So I really want to knock out some states. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially since you're on the East Coast, that should be a lot easier. Oh, it's not. It is, but it isn't. Like the, the highway. So I live two hours from Rhode Island. You would think that I would have gone to Rhode Island by now or Delaware. And the only place I've made it to this summer is Vermont. So I'm going to try to be diligent in my, my last two weeks and let's see if I can knock out some states. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can hit Maine. Um, and like Delaware and Rhode Island, I do that. But I'm never coming back. I'm never going to the East Coast again. Oh, um, <laughs> so I want to take care of like these compact states. Yeah. Before I'm gone, so I don't have to waste money on a flight to come back. Yeah, makes sense. So you, you mentioned your family. You know, you were recently able to go on like family vacation in Hawaii. I'm wondering, um, and I guess your mom in particular, because you're really close to your mom, right? Like, how how did your family? Did they influence your decision to travel? Did they have any, like, opinions or reactions when you started going to all these different places? What was the feedback that you got from the people closest to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only time my travels have been difficult for my family is when I was in the Balkans, in Kosovo. Because for me, I thought that I was actually going to die. Because the racial and the violence was so intense. Mm. It was constant, but it was just like a concern, like for my safety. But like, other than that, they're like, "You good?" That's kind of what I assumed you would say, because it seems like 
y'all are really tight and they always support I, you. Huh? And I think too, with support, I, I think my parents kind of know, like, I, I've always been like, this is my life. So, mm-hmm. and they can just kind of like get with it or be upset. And I think there has been times they've been upset, but then they very quickly like, well, we love and we want to make you happy. Because Madagascar, my mom was not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so, and, like, <laughs> I'm going. And, and then by the time, you know, we got into like a little argument before. Um, by the time I left, she was like very supportive. Like, I've rearranged all of your khakis for when you go hiking. Oh, it was, it was really dope. Yeah, and I'm sure they're proud of you too. I think so. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I think we covered everything. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, where, assuming that you want people to find you on the internet somewhere, where can people find you or keep up with, like, what you're doing? What is my Instagram? <laughs> my, okay, so you can find me on Instagram as Joe Muffin, J-O underscore Muffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that's what I use the most. Facebook is non-existent LinkedIn is, I think, probably inappropriate. Unless you want to find me on LinkedIn as Joe Lisa Griggs. But Instagram is probably the way that I engage most and I post a lot of domestic and international travel. It's harder. It's actually harder for me to travel in country than it is to travel abroad. Oh, really? Is it because of the whole, like, East Coast highway thing? Or is it other reasons? expensive. So the flight to Utah, right, is a flight to Spain. Really? I mean, yeah, living and coming from JFK, um, a flight to Washington State, Wyoming is, is a flight, Greece, round mm. trip, and that makes it difficult. But, I mean, depending if you want to leave the country, I think it will make it easier, like, to encourage you, like, you're spending money to go to Houston, you actually can go to Paris mm-hmm. um, on a nice airline. If I'm in Utah, you get somewhere, I'm going to pay $200 to go. Not too far. And do I actually feel safe in these Western states? No. Mm. Uh, so that's been a, a roadblock for me. I really want to see Western U.S. because it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it is. We have to be very honest Yeah. about where we can and can't go. And that's, yeah. that's hard. Yeah. And that's the same too, because it used to be, um, or it might, it might still be out. I don't know if it's like as big as it used to be, but you remember the, did you ever hear about the green book that they used to have, especially during the Jim, Jim Crow era? 40s and that's still useful today. Yeah. Yeah. Great too, because I'm like, oh, I would love to train California to Chicago, mm-hmm. but am I safe on trains? Maybe. Maybe not. You don't know. <laughs> Shit. But I, I love TSA. Mm. Haven't let me down yet. So <laughs> flying has always been the most comfortable. I don't trust the Greyhound or the Peter Pan. I actually have taken a mega bus from New York all the way up to Canada, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent 11 hours going through Ontario. Um, mega bus goes to Canada? Megabus goes everywhere. Oh, okay. I'm asleep. I need to keep your life. I feel so unaware right now. <laughs> but no, that's real. That's real. I I might for still trying to um you know go to as many states as possible, but still trying to be safe because that's not something that you can afford to not think about, unfortunately. So, yeah. Okay. Well, um, that's all I have for you. For now, unless there's anything else you can think of that you want to say. I think that's everything. I think that's everything. If something else comes up, I'll text you. Um, But I won't keep you. uh, I know, I mean, you're in the midst of saying you had somewhere to go or something to do. So, (laughs) Um, but thank you again. I really do appreciate this. Um, I'm really glad that I was able to meet you and make, make friends with you. Like, that's still like one of the the things I remember most fondly about going to MSU was like meeting people like you and like, you know, the little like cohort of black girls that were in Madison. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I just appreciate you so much. And, um, I hope you enjoy 
the wedding that's coming up and moving and all that. I hope all that goes as smooth as possible. And um, yeah, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Okay. <laughs> I really have to go and get this kit. Okay. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Okay. Talk Bye. to you later, okay? Bye. <laughs> All right, y'all, there it is. Thanks to Joe for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young, Gifted, and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue to listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, and now Google Podcasts as well. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for next week, uh, <laughs> next week will be the end of the uh, weekly release that we were temporarily returning to. Um, next week will be a special celebration episode, a special first anniversary episode, and um, it's going to be a mixture of my usual 10 cents episodes where, you know, every 10 episodes I'll check in and reflect and, and give honor where honor is due, so on and so forth. It'll be a mixture of that and uh, something else, something special that I think you will like and that I hope will work out. It's still coming together. <laughs> so we'll see what we want end up with on Tuesday, um, the 18th. But hopefully it'll come together wonderfully and it'll be lovely and we can all celebrate the first year of Young, Gifted, and Abroad together. So um, you can look forward to that next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. <laughs>